Hello, and welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. This is the podcast that looks at one film in each episode and uses it to explain the nine types and three instinctual biases of the Enneagram model of personality. One movie, one type. My name is Mario Sakura, and I'll be joined by Maria Jose Munita and Tamara Zanatti. We are the principals of Awareness to Action International, a global consulting and training company that specializes in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about us and our work at awarenesstoaction.com. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. So I said last time that the episode on Ferris Bueller's Day Off was going to be our ultimate session, which means next to last, that proved not to be the case. Uh, we decided to do another episode, and uh, so I'm really excited about this one. So I'm Mario Sakura, and we're here with the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. I am joined, as always, with Maria Jose Monita. Hi, Mario. Hi, Tamar. And Tamar Zanetti. Hello, Maria Jose. Hello, Maria. So, guys, I am excited about today's episode. Uh, we're going to break from form a little bit, and we're not going to talk about one movie. We're going to talk about three movies, but each of these movies contains one of the most, oh, shall we say, uh, famous characters in all of filmdom and uh, someone near and dear close to my heart, the great boxer from Philadelphia, Rocky Balboa. We're going to talk about three Rocky movies, the original Rocky, the 2006 movie Rocky Balboa, and the 2016 movie Creed. And we are going to talk about how these movies represent the inner triangle of the Enneagram, as well as the core qualities and accelerators. So we are going to use these movies to describe some other elements of the Enneagram that we teach that uh, go beyond just describing the strategies and instinctual biases. Okay, So guys, are you as excited as I am to talk about these movies? <laughs> Definitely not as you are excited. <laughs> excited, yes, but not as you are. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Maria Jose? Um, so... Let me explain what, how I see this podcast episode. <laughs> so we had covered so many movies and we had not talked about Rocky. Mm. So how could we make it fit in so that we could talk about Rocky and not just one, <laughs> but three Rocky movies? So a great way to rationalize it was to talk about the core qualities. Now, having said that, I have to admit that these three movies are the ones that I enjoyed the most out of the whole season of oh, podcast. Oh, interesting. Yes. That's interesting. Ooh, wow. <laughs> I want to hear more about that in a moment. Uh, Tamar, uh, your, your, your thoughts on that? No, actually, I want to ask you a question. I mean, versus yeah. uh, Godfather trilogy, which is the most uh, close to your heart, uh, Rocky? Uh, oh, Rocky. Uh, Rocky. No, 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 no question. No. And, and, and I'll explain why in a moment, okay? Mm -hmm. But um, uh, well, certainly, if the choice comes down to, you know, I'm flipping channels, and Rocky is on or The Godfather is on, I, I land on Rocky, right? Just mm -hmm. And, you know, I have seen Rocky so many times, I, I can't even count. And in bits and pieces, because it's always been on TV, and it's f 45 years old, the movie, I think. So, yeah, I, I land on Rocky anytime. It's not as great a movie as The Godfather, 
but it's an exceptionally watchable movie, I believe. Yeah. So right. I, I I never I never liked uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, acting, but I have to admit it as well that there are moments in uh, Rocky and in Creed that uh, I got emotionally involved. So I have to say yeah. that. Yeah. So yes, yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Okay, Stallone I believe is a transmitting nine in real life okay i've seen interviews with him he looks very much like a three and we've talked about how this happens with transmitting nines they're easily confused with threes uh, because they're kind of an image conscious nine right is what it comes down to and stallone has been in my view has given three or four good movie performances where you sit back and say well that guy can act, right, uh, when he puts his mind to it. Everything else, he's crap, I think, right? But for me, those four movies are uh, the first Rocky, first Blood. Uh, actually, I'm going to give him a little bit more credit. There was a movie called Nighthawks uh, back in the early 80s that I thought he was pretty good in. A movie called Copland with Robert De Niro that he was actually great in, in a little scene movie. And I think he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that movie, as he was for Creed, which is his other for me, his, you know, uh, crowning achievement as an actor, okay, from my view. Everything else he's pretty crappy in, right? I mean, he, and I think that each of those roles, he has played a nine, mm-hmm. okay? And it's when he tries to play a three or something else uh, or an eight that uh, it kind of falls apart for him. So I think it's a, it's an example of someone who excels when they're playing themselves or something close to them. Let's talk first Before we get into the movies, let's talk about the inner triangle, and then we'll talk about the core qualities, and uh, then then we'll get into the movies, okay? So um, the inner triangle of the Enneagram represents not only three Enneatypes, but it also represents a dynamic about how each one of us goes to sleep to ourselves, right? Point nine represents that idea of going on autopilot, of giving up of our own sense of being, Right. Instead of being alive and present, we go to sleep. Okay? And then we have this experience where we start to, at point six, run into fear and anxiety. Right. Uh, we see the world as a terrifying place and we kind of grasp around for some way to deal with that fear and anxiety. And this is where we go and we embrace some sense of identity, right? Some sense of constructed identity. We adapt a narrative about who we are rather than just being who we are. Okay. And so from an Enneagram perspective, we can say that this is kind of where this idea of a false self comes from, right? It's this thing that we are constructing in response to the anxieties we face in the world. And what this narrative does, what this false self does is allows us to go back to sleep. Okay, Uh, back to point nine. So the sleeping life is kind of this endless circle around the Enneagram, right, of wanting to function on autopilot, feeling anxiety, creating some false identity or some constructed identity to rely on so we can go back to sleep. Okay. Now, even though this is at points nine, six, and three of the Enneagram, it happens to all of us, right? We're all doing this, not just threes, not just sixes, not just nines. Although we can see it, 
most clearly in people of those Enneagram points. What do I mean by that? In the nine, we can see this tendency to go to sleep most vividly of all the nine Enneagram types, right? In the three, we can see this embrace of a constructed identity. Uh, the, the fixation or the vice there is uh, vanity, okay? And at point six, we can see this anxiety, this concern about life, right? Uh, comments on that, guys? It reflects something that it's we are going through kind of all day. It's a pattern. The 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 kind of first thing you described. It's what allows us to operate. It's not something good or bad. I think that it's because I want to stay a bit away from the um, and maybe it's my own bias, <laughs> but from uh, I wouldn't like people to think that that's wrong and the other, the other thing the second part that you mentioned it's right i think that it is okay to act like that until we faced a situation where what we're doing it's not working and um and then we need to kind of wake up and try to work on it yes so uh, to comment on that it's it's this idea that we see in a lot of spiritual circles that you need to be awake all the time yeah right that you should never be going through this process and what we always talk about in our programs is you simply can't do that right the brain uses way too much energy when it's awake in order to be sustainable now if you go off to a mountaintop and live in a monastery where you don't have kids to deal with and a job and neighbors and all of these things you have a lot more brain energy to be present more often but the rest of us have to be selective in the amount of presence and attention we can have and we have to be skillful at understanding when to when to be present which is something we'll come to in a moment. But Tamar, did you want to comment on the uh, way we go to sleep to ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I can really see this in my life and uh, situations with my clients a lot. Sometimes it's it's okay to keep on going through this process because it helps to get things done without uh, causing problems. And sometimes this is where we need to break the chain and try to uh, rewrite uh, our own stories. So, I mean, I, I would agree with what, what you said, Maria Jose, about it's uh, it's uh, a modus operandi that, that, w- that we really need to respect. And all what we need to do is to make sure that it's serving our purpose. If not, maybe we need to fix something. But not all the time trying to go out of this process. Yeah, it's, it's like a way of understanding the world and understanding ourselves that helps us interact, helps us address what comes our way until it doesn't. I was, as I was watching these movies for the millionth time, I was thinking to myself, you know, a big part of the theme here is the role of ego, right? Because there was a lot of this sort of three-ish, I have to test myself. I have to prove myself. I have to stand up to an opponent, to a challenge, and find out who I am through that. Right? And so I'm asking myself as I'm watching this, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And I think what made it a good thing in these movies is that the theme was, is I need to do this for myself, rather than for someone else, right? This was the, the the message that kept coming back, okay? And we can't 
the, the phrase that came through my mind was we can't be nobody until we're somebody. Right. So we have to work within the boundaries of our personality and ego before we can really start to transcend it, to integrate it and to move beyond it. Because if we don't, it just keeps pulling us back. And there's one part I don't even remember. Oh, I think it was in Creed where um, Stallone says, it's always you in front. It's, I mean, there's nobody else there. It's you. It's always you. Yeah. And I think that shows what you're saying. Yes. So the, both Maria Jose and Tamara talked about uh, the process of kind of waking up and getting out of this when we need to. And the way we do that is by utilizing the, the inner triangle, but sort of reversing this process, right? So instead of just going to sleep at point nine, we prime ourselves to pay attention right? To know when do I need to pay attention, right? There's some friction in the system of life. Something is irking me. I'm feeling some, I'm getting some emotional signal that something's not okay. And this is the moment where we need to tune in and say, okay, stop. What's happening here, right? And what needs to be different? Now, the reason the Enneagram is so valuable is because it helps us to understand what's happening here. And how am I falling into these habitual patterns? How am I getting trapped in my eightness right now? Because if I don't recognize that, I can't get out of it. And so we ask, we ask ourselves, okay, instead of doing this, I need to do this. Now, the problem we run into, of course, is represented by point three. It's where we start getting these conflicting commitments inside of ourselves. Okay. Uh, as an eight, I want to be nicer to people, but I also want to be powerful. And powerful to me means I don't have to be nice to people if I don't want. So I have this inner conflict. For a nine, it might be, I know I need to show up, but I don't want to show up. And so again, I have this inner conflict. And so we need to, at point three, resolve this inner conflict by redefining our strategy, by rewriting our narratives in a way that makes our experience of the world more authentic, right? More aligned with reality instead of feeding these false narratives in our brain. Finally, the next step there is to identify an action plan. What is it I'm going to do? Because change only hope happens through action. And this is, again, one of the other things that came so clear to me as we as I was watching these movies, right? They're about action. They're about doing something. Uh, in Rocky's case, it's about getting his butt into the gym, right? Drinking raw eggs and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, which I know is really disgusting. And by the way, uh, should you ever be inclined to emulate Rocky and drink raw eggs, do not do it. Besides being completely disgusting, you also risk salmonella uh, poisoning and all that sort of I, I thing. Did, so. I did in, in some stages of my life, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Well, yeah, you're, you're a better man than me, Tamar, because I just, no, 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 no. That was I 20, that. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 yeah, so I, so I don't recommend that. But my point is here that it's about doing Okay, it's not just about being. It's not just about being in our heads or feeling our emotions. It's about getting into the body and taking action in the world. Okay, and I think that this is where most psycho spiritual paths fall apart. Right? They might do body work, where I'm going to do breath work, or say, "Oh, I'm going to get into my body," blah blah blah. But it's not about the action of living life. And this is what I like about Rocky, because it's all about the uh, temptation to withdraw 
versus the impulse to engage. Yeah, I have a question to you, Mario, here, because I kept on listening to audience, I mean, when we are in conferences or whatever, and asking you about the uh, Enneagram of process. Mm -hmm. And somehow I, I see some relevance here between the inner triangle and the, the process that you just explained and uh, the the Enneagram of process. I mean, what's your comment yeah. on it? Sure. So the, the so the process enneagram for people who are not um, familiar with that idea is this idea that the enneagram represents kind of a natural dynamic that happens in the universe. Uh, sometimes referred to as the law of three and the law of seven as well, or as sort of corollaries to the enneagram as a process model. So I think there's something to it. I think that so for me, you know, I. Uh, and and I think Russ mentioned this when we had him on the show to talk about contact. He contact. He talked about the law of three, and he said, "Look, it's not a law, right? A law means something that always happens." Okay, there's laws of thermodynamics, for example, right? Meaning that it's a law because there's never a variation. Something like the law of three is really just a heuristic, okay? Meaning it's a model that sometimes applies and sometimes doesn't. Okay, And so for me, certainly the inner triangle of the Enneagram represents a useful heuristic Okay, in certain areas. Now, when we go a bit further and start applying all nine points of the Enneagram, uh, either by going around the circle or by following the lines inside of it from one point to another, I find that that heuristic starts to lose utility, right? Meaning it's just, in my experience, just not that useful, okay? Other people disagree. Other people find it useful. It seems artificially complicated to me. Uh, but then again, I'm someone who's well known of not being able to count past three. So it could be just a limitation on my part uh, to not be able to follow that kind of sophistication in the Enneagram as a process model. Are you really well known for that? Uh, in, in my house, I am. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, in, in my house, I certainly am. My wife will tell you if there's four items on the uh, shopping list, I'm coming home with three because I just stop paying attention. So, <laughs> right. So I'm a legend in my own home, Maria Jose, is what I'm trying to say here. Awareness to Action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations, as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team and awareness to action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities. When we have been talking about these movies so far, we've been talking about the Enneagram as descriptions of kinds of people, right? Nine different kinds of people or 27 different kinds of people, if we think about the subtypes. And certainly the Enneagram is a map 
of different kinds of people. But it is also a map of each one of us, each individual. And here, all nine of the points are relevant to each one of us, right? So even though we're going to be talking about points three, six, and nine, and only Tamar uh, here is one of those three types, what we're going to talk about applies to everybody. It applies to me and Maria Jose just as much as it does to Tamar. And for our listeners out there who are not three, sixes, or nines, you will still relate to these dynamics that we're going to discuss today. Because these are universal qualities. So when people talk about having all nine Enneagram types in them, right, I don't like that phrase. I don't know really what it means. It, it opens up this philosophical homuncular article, you know, or the or, or argument, or, you know, or these nine little people inside of us, like the like the little guy inside the head of the guy in uh, Men in Black or something. Uh, no, it, it's it, we don't have all types inside of us. But we do have all the dynamics of the core qualities inside of us going on, and we can each relate to those. Yeah, I, I can relate to, to to what you just said. Uh, working with my clients, that yes, I, I start looking first at the core quality at their point and the two connected points. But I mean, in some situation, it helps to work on core qualities that are on other points that are not connected to their. In a type points, so it, right. it's really somehow situational, or you, you can say it's about stages in life where you're facing certain challenges, or you need to grow in certain areas. So I, I, I really do relate to this. I mean, to the nine uh, for any any type. I agree with Tamar absolutely, and it is something that is, and we're going to discuss the core qualities, I guess. But it is something that it is not on the surface and it is not a behavior that you can observe it is something that when you look kind of with a bit of calm i guess it's it's there but it's yeah. not that evident and um and i like that yeah i like it because it's less obvious it's deeper but it's so useful to work with it and kind of identify it. And it, it puts your finger on something that it's really important. And once you do that, you can create change. I think it's, it doesn't uh, explain what I'm trying to say. It's not just change, but it's growth. Yes, yes, good point. Uh, so, so we like to use the word maturation, when we talk about the core qualities, right? Um, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the philosophical idea, you know, behind that in a moment. Uh, I like to think of the core qualities as states more than behaviors, right? It's, you know, we call them qualities. And yes, they are a quality, but a quality is not an act, okay? A quality of an athlete is speed or power, right? But you can't speed as an act, right? It's not a verb, but it's not really a noun either, right? It's a, 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 I guess it is, but it's it's not an object that you can put in your hands. It's just something you know it when you see it, and the core qualities work the same way. If we talk about benevolence, for example, at point nine, it's good intention, but it's not so much the act of good intention, but it's the state of good intention, 
Okay. Um, so with the core qualities, our view, and this is where we, I'm going to say differ a little bit from some of the traditional Enneagram teaching. If by that, we're talking about the work of somebody like uh, Oscar Echazo, who was a pure Neoplatonic Platonist or Neoplatonic Essentialist. Okay, uh, if you read the uh, introduction or forward he wrote to uh, Almas's facets of unity, he takes he talks about the uh, holy ideas in a Platonic sense, meaning there are these qualities of us that exist fully formed, that are a reflection of the divine and always have existed. Okay, you can't change them. You can't grow them. You can't mature them. They just are. Okay. Now, that's a Neoplatonic philosophical perspective that I disagree with. Okay. My view, and I think the two of you share it, is that these things appear in us in an immature form early in life when we are born, right? We have these qualities in an immature form, like an acorn to an oak tree. Right, is the analogy we often use. Uh, everything you need for an oak tree is in the acorn, but it ain't an oak tree yet. Okay, It's still an acorn. It's a baby oak tree, perhaps. And everything in the universe starts from a place of less maturation to more maturation, Okay, less mature to more mature. And this is how we view the core qualities at their heart. Right, they're these states, these qualities that we possess, that with proper nurturance can grow and mature into these wonderful states. But life is difficult. The socialization process sort of beats these out of us. There's that great scene in Rocky Balboa when Rocky is talking to his son. Uh, on Walnut Street outside of the Irish pub, and I'm sure that's in both of your notes and we'll come back to. But it is just such a great example of these messages that we get in our childhood. Life is tough, and you better be tough. You better be cautious. You better stand up. You better do all of these things. And, you know, that's a reasonable and, I think, responsible message for parents to give their children. Okay, because the world is tough. And as Rocky says, the world will knock you down, that life will hit you harder than anything else. So this leads to a stunting of the core qualities. And call it what you want, call it spiritual growth, call it self-development, exists in how do we learn to nurture these core qualities so we can start to experience these states in their most mature forms. Okay. And again, I think, and I'm going to make the argument that the Rocky trilogy that we're going to talk about exemplifies this. So this morning I was thinking about the core qualities in these three movies. And, and I thought, okay, so I want identify them. And I, so I could see that. And I had a lot of kind of thoughts about that uh, while I was watching them. But this morning I was like, okay, so I've been focusing on those core qualities of point three, six, and nine. But what if I focus on the others? Mm. You know, can I see them? Mm. And maybe I was just fooling myself and it was confirmation bias, but I 
do believe, and it's not fair for the people who are listening because we haven't talked about the core qualities at these points, but that those of point three and six and nine are the ones that most apply to these movies. I, I just couldn't feel that state that it's relevant to the other points. Right. I, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I did not make that effort to look for the other core qualities and i you know so so and and we will talk about uh, the core qualities briefly particularly the three six and nine in a moment but the so this movie is about a nine okay and and creed is about a three now paulie i would say is a six okay who's a you know a character that appears in the first two movies so you've got that inner triangle represented now i, I apologize to six is listening paulie as we will see is How not a, a yeah you know interesting interesting very very good point uh robert rocky's son could have been a six yeah okay i don't i don't think he was hugely well developed but yes yeah. uh Good, good, good call. Um, so, uh, but yes, so, and, and these are the qualities that we see. And Tamara was talking about using the uh, the uh, core qualities with clients sometimes. And I know that even though we don't, or I don't use them with my clients all the time, and most, in fact, most of the time I don't, whenever I'm working with a three, a six, or a nine, these are the issues that come up, right? The others are in the background and they just come up in different proportions. And I'm amazed at how often I find three sixes and nines talking about the same things just to a different degree of priority, right? So um, these three types are very similar, just sort of twisted on each other in a way. So the core, the other two core qualities. So we mentioned benevolence. Benevolence is this good intention. The way we like to think about this is that the immature benevolence is the innocence of the child, right? They just, they don't come into the world with ill intent toward others, right? It takes time to develop that. Okay. Um, and, um, but there's just this innocence to them, but it's not an active good intent either. Right? It's a naive. It's just, uh, good it's intent. A, Exactly right. It's ex exactly right. And I think, Tamara, it's a good word. Um, and, and we use that at some places, but I think it applies in a lot of these, right? Each of these core qualities in their initial states is kind of a naive expression yeah. of that, meaning that it's unaware, immature, undeveloped, unsophisticated. And not active. And not active. Yes, yes. Uh, very, very, very passive. Okay, so at point three, uh, there's this uh, the core quality of value, which we define as inherent worth independent of accomplishment. And man, if these movies aren't about value and the laws of value, I don't know what they're about. Right. And at point six, it's the core quality of confidence. Right. Do I have what it takes to survive? And the child, again, they have naive confidence. They just haven't gotten that message that Rocky gives to Robert about how difficult life is yet, right? They'll get it soon enough, and they'll start losing that innate confidence they have, or it'll start to become stunted, but just hasn't happened yet. Now, I don't think I want to go through the other core qualities at this point, just for the sake of time. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be a two-part episode anyway, so um, we'll save that. And if people are interested in learning more about the other core qualities, uh, uh, we just did a, a webinar that uh, talks about those briefly that you can get on uh, on our YouTube page. 
And also, you know, certainly we discuss it in our certification program. So, but so these three core qualities are at play. And I think these are the themes. As I was thinking about these three movies, the thing that came to me is that these movies are essentially about who am I and how do I know that? Well, you think about it all week and all your life, and now you want us to comment on it. That's that's really great. That's not fair. Uh, it is not fair, Mario. <laughs> I will so answer you next week. <laughs> to, you know, I, so, so if you say it like that, I agree. But I have to say that my experience of this movie, it's interesting. I was telling my husband uh, earlier that it's a movie of a boxer, right? So you would think <laughs> that it's about fights and maybe revenge or those things. And to me, this movie is about benevolence. You know, yes. what comes across for me over and over, it's just how good the guy is. Yes. You know, it's yes. just there's something that touches me about that benevolence, that light that he sheds on, on like everything around him. And to me, the movie, it's about that. Mm-hmm. It's about how he makes people feel comfortable, helps people grow, creates trust because confidence. of how good he is. Confidence. Confidence. It's, it's about the development of confidence, right? It's and and how confidence allows for that expression of benevolence, right? Because Rocky's weakest moments throughout these are when he is dealing with his fear, right? When he gets pulled down into his fear, he becomes selfish, like we all do, right? He says, you know, something really hurtful to Creed, you know, at the end of the movie when he's facing his fears about uh, having cancer, Um, you know, and there are other examples of this where it comes through. Now, that's only humanly you know, that's natural, right? Uh, so, but I, 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 I hear you, Maria Jose, and I agree with you. You know, a, a movie can be about more than one thing, right? So I don't think we're, we're disagreeing with each other here on, on what's at the heart of this movie. And, and, and I think that it's like any work of art, you know, it's different people see different things and it touches you in different ways. And yes. it's just different angles. And to me, it's about this benevolence that I just, touched me mm-hmm. more than the other thing the other thing that's interesting to me to sort of loop back to our conversation about ego earlier and is this in service of the ego in all three of these movies the hero loses the fight right rocky loses to apollo creed in the first one okay mm-hmm. uh he loses to uh, mason dixon uh in the second one and Creed loses to Ricky Conlon in the third. But it's about the triumph of the spirit mm. rather than the triumph right. of the ego. Okay. And I think in this is view. a very strong message. I mean, it's, uh, I, I mean, and, and very much related to what you said, uh, Mario, is who am, uh, I am. So mm-hmm. it, it is like the, the answer at the end of the movie, each one of them, of who I am. And it's that the intrinsic self of or the intrinsic sense of value and identity have to come from inside rather than from external acknowledgement and reward right uh, particularly through rocky balboa there's this whole idea of 
Don't worry about what other people think. Mm. Right? Mm. Uh, stop caring about that. Do what you need to do. Do what drives you. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. So before we continue to bounce around the three movies, let's uh, take a little bit of time to uh, talk about Rocky um, before for anybody who has been living under a rock for the last 45 years and has not seen the Rocky, uh, the movie Rocky. Just, you just have to say something that it, yes. I had watched all three movies, but before preparing for these podcasts, but watching them all at once, like made a difference. And Having been in Philadelphia made a difference as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah. just more fun. You see more things. Yeah, um, you say, "Oh, I was there." Right? Yeah. I have a picture. We have a picture of Maria Jose standing at the top of the Rocky <laughs> Steps yeah. with her arms raised over her head. Just I like, told uh, my daughter, and she was embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I showed her this, uh, the last part of I think it was Creed and. Uh, or I don't remember which of them. Rocky Balboa, <laughs> when they all run, all the people running to the top of the steps. Yes, yes. and I said, I did that. And she was like, mm -hmm. oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> so, 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 Mario, do they sell souvenirs in Philadelphia related to Rocky or something? Oh, jeez, Tamar. Oh, my goodness. Uh, look, so I... Go ahead, Mario. You wouldn't believe how so many years later that statue is there. People yes. making a line still during the pandemic to get a picture taken mm -hmm. at this, I mean, at the statue, at the feet of the statue. And uh, people go up the stairs running and take a picture with their, they're kind of holding their hands up. And it's just... Yeah, it's 45 years later and you still see it all day long, every day, right? Uh -huh. So I, I, I was thinking about this and I cannot think of another series of movies that are so central to a place right, um, as Rocky is to Philadelphia. And there's an interesting line in Rocky Balboa when Paulie is saying, you know, if you, uh, if you stay in a place for long enough, you become that place. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's a character in film that is so clearly associated, not just, you know, logistically and geographically, but, uh, but uh, essentially, as Rocky is with Philadelphia, so so, so let, me, let me let me talk about that a little bit. Okay, so the movie Rocky, released in 1976. Now, obviously, Maria Jose, when were you born? 74. 74. Okay, so you were too young to see Rocky in the theater. All right, uh, so um, so Rocky was a huge, huge hit 
1976. It was released in late November and was still the highest grossing movie in that year, meaning in six or seven weeks, it grossed more than any other movie that was made. And it was the second highest grossing movie in 1977, surpassed only by Star Wars okay that year so when you run the numbers i think uh uh, let's see it's somewhere in my notes but the movie was filmed for 1.1 million dollars okay which is nothing for a hollywood movie and it made 110,000 110 million basically a uh you know uh, no it was more than that i'm sorry it made uh, a couple hundred million I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It was a huge box office success. I see Maria is going to pull that up for me. I know that the um, uh, the domestic gross was over $100 million. I think the worldwide gross was in the $200 million range. But transferred for today's dollars, that's almost $800 billion, I'm sorry, $800 million, right? That's a big, big movie, okay? It won the Academy Award that year uh, it won three academy awards uh, including i think for best screenplay by sylvester stallone now should it have won the academy award for best picture i don't know it beat out network it beat out taxi driver that's a hard argument to make but it's a critically acclaimed movie and it was culturally huge okay uh I saw it in the theater, and uh, as a 13-year-old, I still remember um, leaving the theater and explaining to my father how Rocky got robbed by not winning, that it was clear that he should have <laughs> won the fight and all of these things. You know, my 13-year-old mind didn't quite get, you know, that it was scripted, I guess. I wasn't that bright even then. So, uh, so, uh, so but it was huge, and culturally it was huge. I mean, the song Gonna Fly Now was the number one song for weeks and weeks and weeks. It played everywhere. Everybody was wearing gray sweats and, and Chuck black and white Chuck Taylors and jogging and talking about drinking raw eggs and all this sort of stuff. There were posters. Every girl I knew had a poster of Sylvester Stallone hanging in their room. I mean, it was just big, big, big and launched him as a huge star. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that Stallone wrote this script in three and a half days after watching a heavyweight bout between Chuck Wepner and Muhammad Ali. Wepner was kind of a club fighter from Bayonne, New Jersey. He was known as the Bayonne Bleeder because he bled a lot, right, in his fights. And if you go back and watch that fight, it's a bloodbath. I mean, Ali just, you know, pounds him, you know, into ground meat and uh, finally knocks him out, a technical knockout in the 15th round. So the, the, you know, the story is, is that Stallone watched this fight, sat down and wrote this movie. Now, later, Chuck Wepner sued Stallone uh, for appropriating his life in some way and inspiration. They ended up settling out of court. But Stallone wrote this movie. He was a nobody. He'd had a couple of tiny roles in movies and TV shows, but he was nobody. And the Hollywood studios loved the script, but they wanted somebody else to play the character. They didn't want Stallone to be the character. One of, one of the options was Robert Redford who the studios wanted to get. Now, imagine <laughs> Robert Redford in that role, right? I mean, boy, oh boy, would that have been a different movie, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, so, but he held on, and he finally got 
a studio to make it. They gave them a minuscule budget of $1.1 million. And it went on to launch his career and, uh, you know, one of the great Hollywood careers and make the studio a ton of money over the years. The other comment I'll make here, we you may notice that we are skipping over Rocky II, Rocky III, Rocky IV, and Rocky V for good reason. I mean, I you know, Rocky III was kind of a fun movie. The, the, you know, the whole Hulk Hogan and uh, Mr. T as Clubber Lang uh, parts of it, uh, you know, were entertaining, but it's not a great movie. Rocky II is, in my view, unwatchable. I just, you know, can't get through it after seeing it a couple of times. Rocky IV, you know, this just goes to show the time where it was in the mid-80s, the height of the Reagan era, and Rocky goes to Ro- to the Soviet Union to fight Ivan Drago, who had earlier killed Apollo Creed in the ring. And, you know, Rocky basically ends the Cold War. So we have that to thank him for. Um, Rocky V is an unwatchable movie. Uh, I have never made it through the whole movie. It uh, is about how Rocky loses all, all his money, has problems with his son. He brings in this other boxer, Tommy Morrison. It's, it's just, it's, it's a train wreck of a movie. But they all made a bit of money. And so when he went back with the idea for Rocky Balboa, the studios gave him uh, the money to do it. Now, we'll come back to that. I don't want to get too far ahead of us here. What else do we need to know about Rocky? Set in Philadelphia. Okay, now, for those of you who... Maria Jose, what was that? Yeah, no, no, the Philadelphia thing. I think it's <laughs> pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So have we, have we made that point that it's set in Philadelphia? Okay. Now, so, so, and I, for those of you who don't know, Philadelphia is my hometown, right? So I grew up, uh, you know, right outside of Philadelphia, but lived in the city itself for 35 years or so before we moved out to the suburbs. And there's a Go lot ahead. of talk about how Philadelphia people are. And yes, I think that same it's, word, it's not just the place and it's funny how in the three movies you see people the guys training in the same places so it's the same shots and um but it's also about how people in philadelphia are how they fight and how uh, kind of in this place is where the real philadelphia people live or how they are it represents so there's a lot of conversation about identity i think related to philadelphia Yes, absolutely right. Now, I do want to say that Rocky, Rocky's way of speaking is not a Philadelphia accent, right? I mean, people think that that's how people in Philadelphia speak. It is not. This Uh, is how Sylvester Stallone speaks. It's how Sylvester (laughs) Stallone speaks, yes. I I think you're absolutely right. And now, he did get some of the things that he tried to incorporate. For example, the way that we tend to mumble our words here, right? Uh, The Philadelphia accent is a very... It it kind of... You get halfway through the word and then you give up, right? And um, so there's no G's at the end of any words and words kind of fit together. There's a weird O sound. Uh, There's actually a TV show show playing on uh, HBO right now called Mayor of Eastwood, where they made a big effort. It's it's filmed actually in the county where I grew up, Delaware County, and they worked really hard to get the Delaware County version of the Philadelphia accent, but it just ain't happening. Uh, who was the woman in Titanic, uh, the British actress? I'm yeah. drawing a blank. Uh, uh, the Winslet? name will come to me. Yeah, Kate Winslet, right? She tries really hard and she gets it sometimes, but then she loses it. And so it's a very distracting thing to watch for a native Philadelphia person. But 
Philadelphia also has a particular sort of inferiority complex. It is situated halfway between New York and Washington. So it has grown up in the, even though it was the birthplace of our country, it has grown up in the shadow of these two vastly more geopolitically important cities and has always had a chip on its shoulder based to that. And I think Philadelphians sort of carry that around with them. Okay, uh, very much a working class city of neighborhoods. Uh, by the way, the movie claims to be shot in South Philadelphia, South Philly. Most of it is actually shot not far from where I spent a lot of years um, in the uh, lower Northeast, a place called Kensington and uh, Port Richmond. Uh, we'll get back to that in a moment. Okay, let's see uh, what else about uh, Philadelphia do we need to say? I th- maybe we should talk about the movie. Maybe we should talk about the movie. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, so Rocky. Okay, he's this club fighter. He is from um, Philadelphia, and by club fighter, it means he's a guy who every you know few Friday nights goes into a church hall and uh, participates in these boxing matches. He's he's a slugger. He's got a great left hand. He is a southpaw, as we will discuss, meaning he leads with his right hand. He's left-handed instead of leading with his left hand, like conventional boxers do. And you know, he's kind of a nobody. Right. Um, He makes his living as a uh, leg breaker who doesn't really like to break legs for a local loan shark. Uh, He's not not even good at that. Right. Uh, Because when he is given the task of breaking a guy's thumb, he doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. Did the two of you recognize Gaza, the the loan shark? Did, did, Did you recognize him from a past episode by any chance? He was Chi-Chi in The Godfather, Uh, I think mostly The Godfather 2, which we didn't actually talk about, but he's one of the guys who ends up testifying against um, Al Pacino, all right? So I know, I I know, too obscure, Maria Jose, I get it. So, uh, So Rocky... This is 1976 now, the year of the bicentennial, which was a big deal in Philadelphia, the 200th anniversary of the United States, which again was born in Philadelphia. And so Apollo Creed, who is clearly based on Muhammad Ali, clearly a transmitting three. I don't think uh, any any debate on that topic from the two of you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He knew how to run the show. yes yes yes. so just for our listeners out there who are not watching us on television both mariose and tamar shook their head no uh you know that so they're in agreement with me here about apollo creed so apollo creed has a big fight scheduled uh but the guy he's supposed to fight breaks his hand he needs somebody to fight and he decides that fighting a Italian-American Philadelphia fighter named the Italian Stallion, nicknamed the Italian Stallion, would be a great show for the fight. So Rocky, now, he thinks when he gets the invitation to meet with them, he thinks he is going to be um, a sparring partner for Apollo Creed. And he's even thrilled about this. Okay, uh, He shows up and he gets the offer to fight Apollo Creed. And do you guys remember what his reaction was when he's sitting in that chair and they're offering him the fight against Apollo Creed? It's like he froze. He was terrified. I mean, he was like, what are you kidding me? Right. I I mean, you could just see him kind of go into that. And again, for me, he's experiencing all of the loss of these core qualities in that one moment. 
okay, that, you know, wait, 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 wait a minute. I am not good enough to be in the ring with this guy. He's going to kill me, right? It's just, this is no way we should be having this conversation. And it's that kind of self-deprecation that we see at the heart of Enneagram type nine. Okay? Well, he was realistic as well. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I mean, we, we need to give him that. This so, is true. <laughs> it's not like they were similar and then he was self-deprecating. I think he was just not good enough anyway. Yes. So he yes. was smart to think that and not fool himself. Yeah, but 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 actually, yes, I can relate to what you're saying. He was like surrendering to not being good enough. It's like, this is life, how it is, I will live it uh, the way it is, and that's it. So he's accepting yeah. this $40 when he wins uh, a fight or $17 if he doesn't win. He accepts that he breaks legs. Uh, that's something he does not like to do, but... He does it. It's like uh, life will happen anyways. Uh, I should not resist it. So it's like he's surrendering uh, rather yeah. than trying to do something. Yes, you're absolutely right. So it is an interesting, again, an interesting character study because this is a guy who could have been somebody. If you remember when earlier in the movie, when Mickey uh, takes his locker away. Right? Yeah. And Rocky confronts him in the gym. Mickey, by the way, played by the great Burgess Meredith, uh, who was actually the penguin in the TV series of Batman in the 1960s, among other things. You know, he's was in his 70s at this time. He seems 30 years older than that. Right. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, but he was in his mid 70s, I think. And do you remember what Mickey told him by any chance when he asked him why he took the... Uh, I don't remember Locker the words, room. but it was like he could have been someone great, a great boxer. Yeah. yeah, he just didn't have the courage to go for it. It was yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember something around that. I gave it to someone who wants to fight, who wants to be someone. Uh, you're He's an up and comer. You're a loser. Just you don't yeah. need you don't need the luckers. Yeah, the exact quote, and I wrote this down was: "You had the talent to become a great fighter." But instead, you became a leg breaker. It's a waste of life. Mm -hmm. okay. And this is the challenge of the nine, of settling for less. Okay. You know, it makes me think of the uh, Brando line from On the Waterfront. You know, I could have been a contender, right? Uh, but I didn't. I stopped short. I gave up. I didn't push for myself. And the other thing, too, and, and what's interesting, because the theme I noticed later in the movie uh, that, you know, we'll probably come back to is a theme of regret, right? I think Rocky Balboa, the movie, is all about regret and loss and what could have been, right? You know, and I often see regret in nines as they get older, right? Because they, they held themselves short of what they could have been. As they look back, they feel this suffering, this pain, this regret. I could have been this. I could have done that, but I didn't. So uh, I, I think that captured the, this aspect of the nine uh, very well also. Okay. So Rocky, you know, he, he, you know, yes, he's realistic. He knows he's going to get his head handed to him. But there's this part of him that wants to become somebody. Right. There's this part of him that wants to stretch out. So he takes it on. OK, uh, now I, I, I want to go back because we haven't introduced Adrian 
yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and I think we should. Adrian played by our friend from The Godfather, Talia Shire, who played Connie, a really different character in this movie. Okay? Guys, what do you think uh, Adrian's Enia type was? <laughs> a three, an eight, <laughs> maybe a five. <laughs> yeah, may, 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 maybe a five, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think she says a word until halfway through the movie, right? And um, so... Yeah, what's interesting to me is that it's halfway through, she almost becomes someone else. Uh, mm. Not really, but 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 she all of a sudden starts to shine and to show up and a bit, which doesn't mean that she's not a five. I mean, it's... No, and I, and I think it gets back to that thing that we talked about with Russ in the, the episode yeah. about the five and contact, right? It's this huge initial reluctance. I mean, clearly... You know, Rocky's after her, right? I mean, she's the girl in the pet store. She's the sister of his friend, Paulie. And, you know, he's got a thing for her to the point where I don't know if you caught this. I, You know, I never caught this before until watching this movie again last night. He's actually practicing the jokes he's going to yes, tell her. the night right? before. The night before, right? And so he goes into the, you know, he's practicing his lines to impress her. And then he goes to the store and she just kind of stares at him. Right. And try act as if she's not there until he starts to leave. Right. And this is when she perks up. Okay. She's oh, bye, Rocky, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it gets to that, that, you know, anxiety around connection that fives have. Yeah. And, and you can tell that although she's not saying anything when she's at the store, she likes to be around him. So yes. she's kind of making a little contact with him or, a bit engaged, but without saying anything and appearing yeah. like she's not making contact. Yes. It's it's like a contact from behind the glass wall. I mean, it's like I would like to connect from <laughs> a distance somehow. And there even is that scene where she's kind of talking to him through that. I forget whether it's a, a cage. A, you know, it's it's a cage. Yeah, a cage, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, that but there's this barrier between yeah. them that that she maintains. And when she's asked to go to uh clean up the cat cages or boxes or something, she's disappointed because she wants to stay yes. there. She doesn't want yes. to leave. So there's this really tender courtship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Gets a little creepy after the first date when he invites her up to the room. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't think that would quite go uh, today, right? But this was 1976, so and, and the alternative was Polly's house, and <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> so her expectation, her standard was not that high. I guess, yeah, right. Her choices were not great. Yes, yeah. um, so she she lived with her brother Polly, who was no uh, no charmer either. Rocky asks out at Adrian on Thanksgiving dinner or Thanksgiving evening. They're going to go on a date. It's this great scene where he's standing outside of her bedroom door, trying to talk to her through the door, mm-hmm. thinking, my goodness, she's ignoring me. She's not, this is awful. He's saying to Paulie, he's thinking, I'm going to get out of here. And then all of a sudden the door opens up and she's ready to go. Right? <laughs> you know, which again is a great scene. It's just, okay, let's go. Uh, so, so they go to the ice skating rink. Okay, which is one of our favorite scenes. We used to show this uh, as part of our training. Okay, so it's one of my favorite scenes, Maria Jose. I saw you that look so on your face. Well. Yeah. You know me so well. I give you that look. That it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I have other favorite scenes. I mean, I said before, no. as I said before, I really enjoy the movies, but yeah. that 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a couple of things that happen here. Number one, they kind of have their first date, but here's where I think we really start to see Rocky's subtype. Okay. Which type subtype of the nine he is. Now there are hints of it earlier on, but share with me what we see as Rocky's subtype transmitting for sure <laughs> so yeah. so i mean he keeps on talking telling story about himself and in, trying to impress her whether by his relation i mean he's trying to get uh, inside the um, what do you call this place um uh, the, the, ice kid, the ice ring uh, uh, convincing the guy and get her special like treat there and uh, guide her through so it it's a kind of uh, you know, transmitting all the time, trying to impress and trying to to impact um, Adrian uh, during this yeah. this relationship. Yeah, good. Jose, would you add anything to that? Or did you see any other things leading up to this that gave us hints about his subtype? Well, the nine we've discussed, and I think that the fact that he just wants to do whatever she would like to do. and mm-hmm. But also in a way that it's as Tamara was saying, impressing her because it was closed. He got the guy to give them 10 minutes to use it. And he's talking all the time. Yes. Which yeah. is yes. talking. It, it's a monologue. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, yes, it's a 10-minute monologue, basically. Until it and works. Until he says something that gets her attention and gives her something to say about. Yes. When he says that he boxes because he... His dad, I think, told him that he didn't have the brains, so he had to kind of yeah. use his body. And she right. laughs and says, well, for me, it was the opposite. I didn't have the body, so I had to use my brain. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, you know, and it's not, even though he is dominating the conversation and telling stories about himself, he doesn't, I don't know, if, to me, he didn't come across as an arrogant jerk. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. Uh, and it's because of, again, that self-deprecating way he had of presenting everything, right? This is different from a transmitting three of like Apollo Creed, right? I mean, this is how we know Rocky's a nine and not a three, as some people might think, that no, Rocky is all about putting himself down, whereas Apollo Creed is all about putting himself up. Even when he's spiritually winning <laughs> uh, and going around kind of getting the applause of the uh, from the the public or the audience cheering up for him. It's in a humble way. It's not like he's full of himself. You will never see him feeling like full of himself. Right. Yeah. Like you see Apollo Creed. Right. Yeah. And and, in this conversation at the the ice rink, uh, you can see as the transmitting, he's talking all the time, talking about himself, trying to impress. But but the tone is like, you know, putting a little bit himself down. Ending the words with, like, it's nothing really important. He doesn't say it clearly, but it's like he, he, he keeps on uh, trying to impress, but, like, ending it with, it's not really important. It's like this mix of, yes, I want to uh, impress you here, but I don't want to make it too much. Yeah, I don't want to seem like I'm trying yes. to impress you, yeah. right? And, you know, and this is one of the things we see in the transmitting nine of this, you know, we call it the humble brag. Right. Um, You know, very often of, oh, it was no big deal that I won the championship of the series because, you know, 
blah, blah, blah. And we see hints of this earlier, too. For example, after the fight with Spider, Spider Rico that starts off the movie, when people would ask him, hey, Rocky, how'd you do last night? And he'd say, oh, it was great. You should have seen me. Right. And so it really was, you know, he's got some peacock to him. Right. The leather coat that he wears, the hat, you know, I mean, you can tell he's, you know, self-conscious and wants to, you know, uh, draw attention. But he does it in a engaging, humble, likable way. You know, now that you uh, mentioned that phrase, this sh- you should have seen me. It's something he often says. And to me, it's these tension between the nine and the three. Yes. You know? I have all these things that I want to show, but then people don't see them. Yes. So it's, you should see it. You should see yes. me mm-hmm. doing these things. And yes. it, uh, that's how I read it. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. So Rocky and Adrian become a thing. Um, you know, she moves in with him at some point into his lovely little apartment in Kensington there uh, with, you know, a couch that's, uh, you know, that's not so bad, right? I've seen worse with all the holes in it and newspapers and stuff. <laughs> Come sit down here on this pile of newspapers. Right? So. <laughs> to me, the most shocking thing was that he wouldn't care. He wouldn't yes. even try to fix it. I mean, he moved them around a bit, yeah. but yeah. he didn't take them off the couch or anything, just come on, sit here. <laughs> yes, yes. And she asks if he could use his, she could use his phone, and he says, oh, I had to have it taken out. Uh, you know, people were calling all the time, and, you know, who needs the aggravation, right? So, uh, you know, again, he's living a humble life, right? You know, not just financially, but also, again, you know, in thinking of what his own value is, there's this, t- this clear tension between value and not feeling valuable uh, throughout the movie. So they have a press conference with Apollo Creed and Rocky and poor Rocky is a, a, you know, a a deer in the headlights during this thing. And, you know, Creed kind of humiliates him and Adrian and Rocky are watching this with his brother, her brother, Paulie, his friend. Paulie says, you know, they're making a fool out of you. You ought to kick his ass and all these things. And he's like, ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But when he leaves and Adrian walks him outside, what does he say to her as he's leaving? Yeah, I said, remember when I said I didn't, bo- it didn't bother me? Well, it did. Yeah. So, again, this is the dilemma of the nine. I put myself down, I put myself down, and that makes other people put me down. And I act like it doesn't bother me, but it does. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is the heart of the suffering of the nine. 
right? It's being seen as not lovable and proactively making themselves unlovable, right? Through their detachment, through their devaluing of themselves, right? It's kind of like, you know, I, I had a friend, you know, some time ago who was, you know, always overweight. He was a really big guy, both tall and very large. And he, w- he would say, I always make jokes about my size, so I do it before anybody else can, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a nine-ish sort of behavior, right? And Rocky has the same way of pointing out, I'm not important because I don't want you to tell me how unimportant I am. So, um, Mickey comes and hat in hand, literally, uh, climbs up the steps to Rocky's apartment and makes the case to be Rocky's manager. What's Rocky's reaction to this? Too late. You know, I needed you 10 years ago, not now. And, And I think that there's something about Rocky that although he changes his mind later, but he had to make a point. But there's something about not wanting to fall into the trap of believing people when he was kind of... So he had a shot now. He was more visible. And now people were getting close to him. He didn't want to open up to them because they were not appreciating him before. So he Mm -hmm. would only get close to the people who truly appreciated him, I think. Yeah. So when Mickey shows up in his apartment, he's making the case. What does Rocky do when they're talking? He goes into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, he goes into the bathroom. Talk about right? passive-aggressive. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. It's it's he, he literally walks out of the room while Mickey's talking, goes into the bathroom, and he waits there until he hears Mickey, or what he thinks is Mickey leaving. Mickey opens the door, then realizes he forgot his hat, shuts you know shuts the door and then you know goes back for his hat rocky walks out sees that he's still there he goes back into the bathroom until mickey leaves and then he comes out of the bathroom and he starts shouting and punching the door and angry and expressing all of these things right you, you know about his bitterness and his anger and you can hear you know mickey can hear this as he's walking down the stairs and then out into the street and um, Rocky has a change of heart and then goes running after Mickey. And they agree for Mickey to be his manager. And so they start training for the fight. Yeah, but, but, is- but Mario, I think that that says a lot about the nine, I think, about the blind spot we see as the passive aggressiveness and the difficulty in dealing with conflict in yeah. an assertive way. Yes. So he hid in the bathroom. But then said everything when the other guy, when Mickey had left already. Yes. And it's not an effective way of conflict being, management. Yeah, you know, yeah. approach, it isn't. Right, right. <laughs> so tell me. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it feels like I have all of this uh, heat bottling up inside me. And I just don't have the means to let it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lots of other forces that are. Uh, pushing it down, trying to make me calm, but it never happens. So it leaks into these passive aggression actions that are unconsciously uh, happening. And then, then once you realize that I did it, I did this passive aggression action. So it's, it's, first of all, it's not polite 
And second, I did not let my anger out. I did not confront my situation. You regret it. I should have confronted. So, so it's, it's, you know, this struggle of, yes, I want, uh, I want to uh, be composed and really not being moved by the situation, but not handling it the proper way. Yeah. And, and this is, this is something that comes back through the three movies, right? In Rocky Balboa, there'll be a conversation about those things in the basement that Rocky talks to Paulie about, right? Those things that, that pain he's been carrying, the suffering he has felt, and how it's kind of bottled down into the basement of his, you know, he kind of points to his belly when he says that, which is interesting. And so, um, so, so absolutely. So, Rocky starts, you know, he kind of makes this decision, I'm going to do this, and I am going to give it my best. And he gets praise from people, you, you know, uh, Gaza, the loan shark, you know, really supports him, gives him 500 bucks and, you know, all these things. And, you know, the, the city starts to kind of rally around him. There's the famous training sequence, right, which, you know, sort of set the standard for you know these sort of training sequences that have been in movies ever since right I with mean, the chickens <laughs> with, uh, the, the chickens doesn't come to later right I, I don't think that, that 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 actually makes its first appearance in rocky three i believe but uh but anyway yes the, you know we see the chickens later um and uh you know but it's the getting up it's the drinking the raw eggs it's running through the italian market and uh all that sort of stuff which is a great great place the italian market is still there and you know it's it's a, a very vibrant place and uh, so and, and you know it's funny because if you actually tried to run where he ran it would be like 30 miles right because of all the different places in the city he's going out of sequence right it would take forever to get there but he runs down along the river and he runs past a ship called the Moshalu. Uh, so, Maria Jose, you might remember this little tidbit, but any uh, any thoughts on the, I'm sorry, the Mushulu, it's pronounced. Tell, tell us about the Mushulu, Maria Jose, and it, why it's relevant to this podcast. Oh, isn't that the ship where the Godfather arrived? Yes, it's the ship that upon which Vito Corleone arrived at Ellis Island uh, in Godfather 2, right? And it's docked in the Delaware River in, in Philadelphia, and it's a restaurant now, but it was just kind of, uh, it was waiting to be scrapped. It was on its way to be scrapped when it was used in The Godfather 2, and, he, you know, Rocky runs past it in Godfather, I'm sorry, in, in, in Rocky. It's a little bit of music, movie trivia that you really don't need to know, and we'll forget by the time this podcast is over, okay? So um, the training montage culminating in the ascent up the what are now called the Rocky Stairs. Uh, it's actually the steps leading up to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is a truly majestic building sitting on a little hill overlooking Philadelphia. Uh, you get to see that view evolve between 1976 and 2016 over the course of these movies. Uh, it's a dramatic change, but still one of the most beautiful urban spots in the world as far as I'm concerned. So then... We get to the night before the fight, and Rocky leaves Adrian sleeping in the apartment, and he goes to the Spectrum, the Philadelphia Spectrum, no longer there, but it's where the, the fight is going to happen. And what happens when he gets to the Spectrum? Gets intimidated. Mm -hmm. And 
I think he really understands what's going to happen the next day. <laughs> Massive. <Yeah. laughs> but 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 there's some there's there's something yeah. more relevant that I'm getting at here. So so the, the poster. Shorts. Yeah, the shorts. Yeah, go ahead. Say something about that, Maria. He gets he says, Well, that's not the color of my shorts. You know, it's yeah. it's here they were I think red and white and they were wide with red stripes and he gets yes. fixate, fixated on that and that's kind of identity it's like not who yes. i am so it's that so there's big banner yeah. of rocky wearing red shorts with a white stripe when in fact he was going to wear white stripes with a red short i'm sorry white, white shorts, shorts with, with a red, red stripe the promoter is there he talks to the promoter points out hey the the color's wrong do you remember what the promoter said to him doesn't matter. It makes no difference. It doesn't really matter, does it, Rocky? Right? Which is the core fear of the nine, that I don't matter. Right? I'm not important. I'm not valuable. I'm not lovable. Okay? So he goes back to the apartment. He crawls into bed with Adrian. She wakes up, and they have a conversation. What, what does he say to her? I can't do it can't do it. Right? Who am I kidding? Yeah. Who am I kidding? So he has this kind of dark night of the soul, right? Um, and if we think of this, again, this movie, which I will think of it as, as a depiction of the spiritual journey, right? <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's my podcast. Give me a break. Here, all right? All right. <laughs> We're making a lot out of this movie. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang in there with me. Okay, hang in Just there. Just a rocky movie. <laughs> <laughs> I really All liked right. it. <laughs> so he is having what in spiritual traditions would be called the dark night of the soul when one feels abandoned by God and hopeless and the lacking of a of a, uh, a foundation of support okay and it's always what comes before transformation okay it's about shedding those things that have artificially propped us up so we can get to what's real and be supported by what's real okay so he goes through this experience he says he can't do it but he says he's going to set a goal for himself and what is that goal do you remember to stay up for the 15th round. Like I want to go the distance. Yes. Right. So he says, nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. Uh, that's what I want. Right? Yeah. And, and he says something else that he repeats later, but yeah. it's about, uh, he said, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I ain't another bum from the neighborhood. It's like mm -hmm. that there's, I have value. And this is the awareness to action process in display in this scene. Right. It's this recognition of what I'm experiencing. It's rewriting of the story and then setting a goal for change in some way. OK. And we always tell people when you're setting a goal for change in this situation, don't overshoot. Right. Don't try to take on too much as a developmental activity because you'll fail. Right. But if you set a realistic goal and succeed, it will inspire you for more. Right. And and, uh, and and the the other aspect of it uh, around the awareness to action process is that his previous story is that if I stay out of kind of big challenges, I'll feel peaceful. I'll yes. be fine yeah. if you leave me yes. alone. Yes. Yeah. Now here 
I'll get in a bigger fight so that I can feel more peaceful inside because yes. peace is bothering yes. me. Yes. 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 This is always the dilemma with nines when they avoid conflict, that they think they are gaining peacefulness, but all they're doing is pushing the turmoil down inside of themselves to, so that it just keeps following them around. Right. And there's a great line in order, you know, at the risk of mixing movies here, but there's a great line from the Avengers when <laughs> when uh, one of the characters, I forget who it was, asks Bruce Banner about how he manages his anger, you know, to keep himself from turning into the Hulk all the time. And Banner says to him, the secret is that I'm always angry. Right? Mm. So even though the Bruce Banner character is very much a nine, kind of peaceful and, you know, easygoing and trying to maintain that state of inner harmony, deep down inside he's pissed off. Right? And this is what happens with nines. Okay, They seem so peaceful on the surface, but they're not. Okay? Until they go through this process of integrating that, integrating all these things we've talked about here. Okay? So Rocky gets into the ring, has this epic fight with apollo creed um you know apollo so rocky enters the ring in a donated robe that's too big that has the uh, logo of a meat factory oh we didn't even talk about the meat in the freezer oh my hmm. goodness uh, so uh, by the just a quick aside don't ever punch frozen meat people so many people have broken their hands on that. <laughs> yeah yeah you know you, know, you, you can punch raw meat that's fine but do not you know, punch a, a, a side of beef that's frozen. It's like punching a wall. So uh, not that I know from experience, but the, uh, but so it's Shamrock Meats is the, um, is sponsor. the uh, sponsor. And when Mickey says to him, you know, um, what, what are you getting out of wearing this? He says, well, Paulie gets $3,000 and I get a free robe. And Mickey says, ah, shrewd, you know. So now Apollo, on the other hand, comes in dressed as Uncle Sam, uh, as George, actually as George Washington, and then getting into the I want you thing. So it's a combination of Uncle Sam and George Washington rowing across the Delaware River to fight the Hessians and uh, entering into the ring. Big, big, you know, show going on. The great Philadelphia boxer Joe Frazier makes an appearance uh, in the ring wearing a lovely light lime green suit uh saying hello to everybody uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh then so they have their fight it's an epic fight uh, rocky gets his nose broken uh you know uh it breaks apollo ribs you know apollo creed's ribs during the fight actually the opposite of that happened in the uh in in filming the movie actually rocky got his ribs broken during the fight and creed got his mm. nose broken or something so uh, it's just interesting that the script had it backwards and as they are reading the you know he rocky makes it the yeah, distance but, but, but i think that yeah, there ahead. was something about his nose he said he had yes. been fighting and his nose was intact and I think there was something about the nose that had to be broken, you know, to show yes. that it was a development of the story and the character. Yes. And I will here, since it's my podcast, make the <laughs> argument that the nose, re uh, yes, and, and my podcast with Maria Jose and Tamara, of course. <laughs> but, <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this episode is my episode. Okay, is the point I'm trying to make here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, my uh, my ego need uh, episode. So anyway, uh, the point is we're indulging no, you. In you're indulging these, me. Yes, that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. Yes. So the um, the nose is, is part of our face. It's our mm-hmm. image. It's our identity. And the nose is broken. The identity is broken, right? The false identity is broken. So the true person can come out. Now, they make it to the, the end of the fight. And as the judges are, re- as the ring announcer is reading the score, uh, the scorecards, what's happening? He left the ring. Well, he didn't quite, he didn't leave the ring yet. Okay. No. They, he leaves the ring later in, in, oh. the, in, in Rocky Balboa. Oh, that's true. But he's calling out for Adrian. Yes. Right. Yes. And she she sneaks into the ring and all he's doing is focusing on her. Right. Mm-hmm. So the decision of the fight is background noise. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not about the victory. It's not about the, you know, the reward of the achievement. It's not about, you know, hey, I'm heavyweight champion of the world. It's I did what I set out to do. And now I want to be with the person I'm with. Yeah, uh, just a quick, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's like winning the life battle, not really the yes. the fight of the boxing fight. Yeah. Yes, he does lose. He goes on to win, of course, in Rocky II, but that's another story that we're going to skip over. So uh, one final comment on this, uh, just a another Philadelphia thing. Uh, we do not say yo, Adrian, here. <laughs> we do say yo, that is a big thing. That is a Philadelphia thing. My son is named Adrian. So the poor boy for his whole 17 <laughs> years has having to been listening to people of my generation say yo, Adrian, you know, and uh, it just drives him insane. So. Um, anyway, you know, Rocky goes on to the, the movie ends with him and uh, Adrian embracing at the end of the movie. Here's a good place to take a break. And I think that we will continue in the next episode with Rocky Balboa and Creed and uh, continue discussing and focusing more on the accelerators as they express themselves, and more on the core qualities, as well as a discussion about Enneagram Type 3 for Creed. Final comments on Rocky, you guys. So I think that it's we'll see more of that in the following uh, episodes, or kind of in the other, when we discuss the other movies, but I see these care for the future generations that's related to yes. the accelerator at point nine throughout this movie as well. Absolutely. Generativity, right, yeah. is the you know what we're talking about here. One point we forgot to mention is his encounter with little Marie. Yeah. Right. Um, or little Marie as she uh he calls her. That's how we talk in Philadelphia. It's not little Marie, it's little Marie. And um this girl that he encounters, she's a young teenager uh, hanging out with a bunch of boys smoking cigarettes. He walks her home and lectures her along the way, right? Tries to mm-hmm. give her his experience. It's that generativity that you're talking about, Briose. She's just some girl from the street that, you know, he knows and he's kind of trying to help and mentor. And um, she's not particularly appreciative of his input. <laughs> uh, do you remember her parting words before uh, she goes into her house? There's something, something, a yoke, a creepo or something. Yeah, screw you, creepo, yeah, is what she says you, to creepo. him. You know? Although she and, kept on listening for the whole conversation, but <laughs> he ended it up with, I, think I, she, I just don't really care about what you said. I, I think she was enduring. 
during the conversation yeah. rather than uh, actually listening <laughs> and then taking it right. And his reaction to that was, "Well, yeah, who am I to talk? Yeah, who am I to give that? advice? Who am I to give yeah. advice?" Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so. We'll end here on Rocky, and in our next episode, we'll pick up with these other topics as well as Rocky Balboa and Creed. Thank you for listening to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. Find out more about the Enneagram and our offerings at awarenesstoaction.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please go online and give us a review. We'll see you next time.